0: In today's episode, I am interviewing longtime Lubbock local Michelle Bates. Michelle co owns and helps run a family business and is a full time bonus mom to two teenage girls. Last year, Michelle's life changed overnight when she woke up and didn't have the use of her lower body. After weeks in the hospital, she was diagnosed with Guillain Barre syndrome. Today, she is talking about how it has affected her life and how her family has adjusted through this diagnosis. <laughs> Welcome to Moms in the Hub podcast, the one and only podcast for Lubbock moms. I share mom fells, discuss trending mom topics, and highlight amazing parents in the 806. So grab a drink and join me as we navigate motherhood in the hub city. Make sure to leave a review and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hello, I'm your host, Danae Hooks. I'm an author, speaker, Love It Moms contributor, and chaos coordinator to three amazing kids. Thank you for coming back to Moms in the Hub. Good morning or afternoon, whichever it is that you're listening to this episode. This is probably my third time recording this intro because my five-year-old keeps walking in. But anyways, before we get to Michelle's journey and what she's currently going through And what she's been through, I do want to do a quick catch-up. Summer is halfway over, which, I mean, I cannot believe it's going by at lightning speed. We're already looking ahead to school supplies and school clothes shopping. Um, Hudson has theater camp this week, which I'm really excited about, and he is too, because um, Lovett Cooper does an amazing job with their theater. Hadley is going to a camp at the Science Spectrum this week. So if you have not checked out the Science Spectrum, it's amazing with lots of activities for the kids. They still have some more summer camps. I don't know if they're full, so check it out. And Hannah is doing amazing. She's had a really good summer. We're going to the library a lot and we're getting some vitamin D. And we're also prepping for her big surgery that's at the end of September. I have been trying to incorporate meditation and a little bit of yoga in my routine because this will be the biggest surgery of her life, and she will be in ICU for about a week. And we will stay a little bit longer in Houston at a hotel so she can recover a little bit more before we make the long journey um, back to Lubbock. So a lot coming up for Hannah, so you know, have her in your thoughts um, during the month of September. Another thing coming up in October is we are hosting the inaugural Hannah's Hope Golf Tournament at Hillcrest Country Club. It's in honor of Hannah to help fund research to find a cure for Rett syndrome. So if you play golf or know somebody that plays golf, you can put together a team. You can sponsor a hole or do one of our um, sponsorships. You can donate something for the silent auction. There's lots of ways that you can get involved. Like I said, this is the first one we're doing, and we hope that we're going to make it an annual thing. Um, Check out the show notes. I will put a link. So we hope to see you there. And now we will get to Michelle Bates' interview. It's a good one. So if you know of anybody who is going through a diagnosis, this may be something that they need to listen to. But if you enjoy Moms in the Hub podcast, please share, tag us in your social media, and um, leave a review. Have a great week. Okay, welcome back to Moms in the Hub podcast. I'm here with Michelle Bates. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Danae. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know you have a full schedule um, so can you just first introduce yourself?
1: All right. My name, as you said, Michelle Bates. I am a bonus mom to two girls. My husband and I live in Littlefield. We have a, we call it a pleasure farm, Bates Funny Farm, with, <laughs> we're up to about 30 goats now and we have many cows now and oh wow, along with our donkeys and horses and ducks and bunnies and... All sorts of things. So, Well, I took Hannah and
0: Hadley out there. I guess it was probably a year and a half ago. Yeah, about
1: that And ago. they loved it. So yeah. we have to make another trip out
0: there oh, soon. Oh, definitely. They would love, especially with the mini the cows. The mini cows. Oh, I bet they're the cutest things they ever. They are
1: adorable. They, The youngest one is actually smaller than my four-year-old nephew.
0: They're oh, like the size of a dog. How fun. How many do you have? Three. Okay. Yeah. And you have names for them, right? Oh, yes. What are the names?
1: They are Maribel Isabella and Louisa.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Of course. <laughs> Everything is Disney themed. Okay.
0: So you're not from Littlefield. You're from Lubbock originally.
1: I was born and raised in Lubbock and I moved away, went to college at A&M, came back for a couple of years, moved away again. I lived in San Antonio for 10 years. And then when my husband and I got married, we moved, well, he lived in Littlefield with his girls. And so I moved in with them
0: okay so now you're all about that country life yes and I love it (laughs) and I don't
1: think I could ever go back
0: oh I love that (laughs) so talk to me a little bit what do you do for a living I know you get to work from home
1: yes I have worked from home since 2014 my sister and brother-in-law and I own a trucking company we operate in Midland hauling frack sand for the oil fracking process and then I do all of the billing invoicing payroll basically I handle all the money side of things while they handle the day-to-day operations down there in person.
0: Okay, how is it working with family? It's
1: got its moments. <laughs> um, it's definitely a challenging relationship because when you get home from work and you wanna complain about you know, your coworkers, well, that's your your sister, and your brother-in-law, but <laughs> overall, we do really well. I mean, we have been doing this. We're going on our eighth year.
0: That's amazing.
1: So so
0: you started the working from home thing before COVID hit, so oh yeah. you were already a professional all Yes, this. yes.
1: Yeah. It was just terrible when suddenly my husband and kids were home too.
0: Right, <laughs> that changed things up. Yeah. Now, did y'all's business see any lag with COVID when it hit?
1: We stopped for about six weeks, but that was it. Um, fracking, they just never really stopped it very long with covid which you're outdoors when you're doing fracking you're able to maintain all the social distancing and all of that Mm -hmm. so it really wasn't that big of a risk and we didn't ever really see very many employees out with covid
0: oh really okay yeah because i mean that makes sense out in the open air and stuff yeah
1: they're rarely indoors and when they're in their truck they're alone so right
0: okay um let's talk a little bit about you said you were a bonus mom But I know you have your daughters full-time, so tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, whenever I married Kevin, he had custody of his two daughters. They were 10 and 14 at the time, so I got thrown into puberty and hormones, and it's been crazy, but it's been really good. We've all meshed really well, which Kevin and I took a lot of steps before we got married to make sure the girls were involved in our relationship. They were a huge part of the wedding, you know, we made sure that they were okay with every step that we took as a family, as we headed towards becoming a family, so that they weren't blindsided, you know, I didn't want them to get attached, and then me and him not work out, or anything like that, so it it was a huge 180 for me, I was single, I lived in the city, I had four rescue dogs, and then all of a sudden, I'm married with two kids, and... On a farm and <laughs> all these goats and cows and everything else. So, so it was a big adjustment. It was a huge, huge adjustment, but it's been really good. The girls and I are really close. They, um, they've really taken to me. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's been good, but yeah, they're now 14 and almost 18. Oh the oldest goodness. turns 18 next month. And so we've been doing this a while and we've got us a good rhythm, but mm-hmm it's crazy to me sometimes to think that the youngest one who's 14 now is the same age as when I started with the oldest one yeah
0: so anybody listening to this out there what advice would you give I mean because you said you made sure that they were involved in the relationship every step of the way
1: that I think is such a huge important factor a lot of people I see get married or, you know, date people and they don't consider their kids in the process, but the kids are a part of your relationship. And that's just something that I feel really needs to be considered. I mean, Kevin wanted to move faster than I did because I wanted to make sure the girls were okay. So yeah, advice, I would say definitely involve your future step kids, um, every step of the way, make sure they're comfortable, make sure that they're you know in a good headspace whenever you do decide to get married or get with somebody and the other piece of advice is you're not doing it wrong Mm -hmm. anything you do you're not doing it wrong because I know that was something for me getting thrown in as a mom to teenagers I didn't know what I was doing but then I get to talking to my mom friends and they're like none of us know yeah. what we're doing you're so <laughs> so <right. laughs> it's not you feel like you're doing it all wrong because you've never done it before right. but it's really there's not a wrong way to do it and to i mean when i say do it be a step parent there's right. just there's not a wrong way to go well there are wrong ways to go about it but if you're doing it with goodness in your heart and with the right intentions then you're doing just fine and yeah hang on to that thought you're you're gonna be okay you're gonna make it
0: (laughs) absolutely because I mean none of us really know what we're doing right we're just trying to survive and we look back and think oh I could have done this differently but I mean that's just the way life goes for anything for everything yeah what What do you think was the biggest adjustment for you I mean because you went from just worrying about yourself to three other people
1: my biggest adjustment was not only that but whenever I moved up here I moved in with Kevin about six months before we got married and i moved up on a sunday he worked on the road he left the next day for three weeks so i was thrown in the deep end without a life jacket and said sink or swim and so it was a huge adjustment of becoming a parent how to discipline them when they need a discipline because i don't know and i right. didn't raise them from babies so in the very beginning, I did never get on to them. I never, you know, told them no. And as I've grown as a step parent, as a mom, I've definitely started saying no. I'm not afraid to discipline anymore. And they respect that. They have been really good. I know there's a lot of step parent relationships where the step parent isn't comfortable disciplining the kids. Mm-hmm. But like for us, when we have them full time, and I'm the one home with them the majority of the time. I, I had to place. get to a place where I was comfortable with that. And we all work really well right now. Kevin's on the road right now. He's been gone for a week and a half at this mm-hmm. point. And we work as a seamless little team now. So. I love
0: that. Yeah, because I've, I can imagine when you're... A step parent in the beginning, you just want them to like you, right? Yes. So that makes it even harder. And to because know. every
1: Disney movie in the world has the evil stepmother, <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> on Disney. So <laughs> That's an amazing bonus it is. Mom. <laughs> That's what they need. They need. They've covered a lot of different aspects of life in Disney movies, and they need to have a good stepmom because right. they're always mean and they're always evil. And so, yeah, you desperately just want them to like you, but at some point. You have to become the parent and not the friend.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. We have to remember that. And I have yes. to remember that parenting <laughs> a newly teenager Hudson turned thirteen on Sunday. Yes. And so it's like, oh my gosh. Like it hits you really hard.
1: Teenagers are a whole different ball game from anything else.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they think they're adults, but yes. they're not. Yes. And they're still learning, but you know, they know everything. They get to
1: the point they know everything in the world <laughs> yeah. and you don't. And yeah. Teenagers are They're tough, but they're worth it.
0: Right, right. Well, one of the reasons, well, the main reason I had you come today is because we want to talk about um, what's gone on the past couple of years with you. You were recently diagnosed, well, I say recently, when was it?
1: November, December.
0: Okay. Yeah, I knew it was right around the holidays Mm -hmm. with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Yes. So I want you to talk a little bit about kind of leading up to that, what happened, and the process of figuring out what was going on with your body and...
1: So I'll start with a little background on what Guillain-Barre syndrome is because most people have never heard of it. Um, Most people pronounce it Mm Guillain-Barre. It's an autoimmune condition where your immune system attacks your nerves and it kills your nerve endings off. It is caused by, well, let me rephrase that. They don't know what causes it, but it usually, always, not usually, follows either a viral infection, a bacterial infection, a vaccine, a surgery. I actually know somebody who has food poisoning and they got it following food poisoning. Oh, wow. So it always follows some sort of an immune response by your body. They don't know why your immune system turns on your nerves like they do, but that is the background of it. There's about 6,000 diagnosed cases in the U.S. per year. So it's very rare. It's hard to diagnose because most doctors learned about it in a textbook 20 years ago, but mm-hmm. have never seen a case of it. So it is hard to diagnose. But for me, it started after I'd gotten a vaccine. I had an immediate immediate allergic reaction to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I started having what felt like my feet were asleep all the time. You know, the pins and needles yeah. when your yeah. legs go to sleep. I remember describing it as that like it just feels like my legs are asleep and they won't wake up and I went to my doctor who she prescribed some nerve pain medicine and started running a barrage of tests and before she could even get the third test ordered I had gone to the ER because I had gone from the pins and needles to one night I stood up from my recliner to go to bed and I took one step and I fell And I heard my foot break as I fell. Oh, my gosh. So then the next day, Kevin was taking me to the doctor to get my foot looked at when I fell down our front steps. And I broke my other foot.
0: Oh, my goodness, Michelle.
1: So I'm a mess just in general. (laughs) And then this happened on top of that. So I went with two broken feet. And then I got to where I just kept falling and kept falling. So we got me a walker, one of those rolling walkers with a seat so that I had something to hold on to. Well, that, the first fall was on a Wednesday night. That Sunday, Kevin was working, they were stripping cotton and the winds had picked up and so he came home early because they couldn't strip in the wind. And when he came home, he ran in the house just to check on me, see what I was doing, if I was okay and needed anything. And he found me sitting in the bathroom floor. I'd gotten out of bed to go to the bathroom and when I got up, I fell. And I couldn't get back up I could not get my legs under me to work they just wouldn't do it so he picked me up he put me back in bed and I was like look it's Sunday night but tomorrow morning we're going to the ER mm-hmm. I, I don't know what else to do right and so we called the ambulance the next morning they brought me over from Littlefield they brought me to UMC I had a That was my hospital of choice. Mm -hmm. And I was immediately, the ER wait time at that point was like over 24 hours. I was brought in within four hours. Oh my goodness. Because I was in such bad shape. And they brought me in. I was severely dehydrated. So they started with that thinking, oh, you know, dehydration. She'll be fine. They were in blood work. I had dangerously low potassium levels. So they thought, okay. This is all a symptom of low potassium. So they yeah. pumped me full of potassium. That didn't work. So then they finally moved me from the ER to a room because they are like, okay, this is obviously something bigger than we think it is. And when the neurology team came in, they kept leaning towards multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. That's just where everybody kept going. Actually, the EMTs right. and the ambulance kept asking me if anybody in my family had MS and we have no family history of it I mean I called around just to make sure and no family history and so they kept running tests we did multiple cat scans we did a brain MRI a full spinal column MRI to make sure I had no tumors none of that they looked at every organ in that MRI everything was normal there was nothing that said hey I'm the problem And so my neurologist said at that point, they wanted to start me on what's called IVIG, which is um, intravenous immunoglobulins, words I can't say, IVIG, and we stick with that. But it's basically the antibodies from people who've donated blood, it's all of their antibodies combined. So you get the antibodies from say five or six different people in one infusion to try and help your body flush out whatever bad things are in yours and fill it with the good antibodies and we did five days worth of that treatment they told me they were going to start it because he was thinking it was Guillain-Barre at that point
0: okay but he wasn't
1: there's no definitive test for Guillain-Barre but he said if we go ahead and start this it will not hurt you if this isn't the diagnosis if it is the diagnosis it will help you but either way it's not going to hurt you okay so we started that As they continued running tests, um, we finally did a spinal tap, which is what they say either determines that it is or is not Guillain-Barre, because if there is elevated protein in your spinal fluid, then they say, yes, it's Guillain-Barre. Okay. My spinal tap got contaminated. The doctor accidentally burst a blood vessel in the process. Oh my goodness. So then
0: that was out that was
1: completely and that's very
0: painful isn't it they
1: everybody says it was I didn't feel it but I had lost feeling. so that's true I mean everybody says I had a nerve conduction study done which is where they put a needle in one end of a muscle and another needle in the other end of a muscle and they shoot electrical currents through it everybody says that's horrible didn't I that. didn't feel that, oh, that either. Sounds horrible. <laughs> so, I mean at least blessing in disguise there. I didn't feel the horrible, painful right. test, but it's cause I didn't feel anything. And so by process of elimination is where they finally came out with the Guillain Barre diagnosis and So I did five rounds of IVIG. I was in the hospital for two weeks, and then they sent me home while waiting on a place to open up in rehab. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to go straight from the hospital to rehab. This was the week before Christmas. I was already getting depressed and sad, and so I just wanted to go home. Right. So I went home. I was actually completely bedridden for six weeks until I finally got into the South Plains Rehabilitation Hospital Mm -hmm. and I spent two weeks there, which is where I finally learned how to get up, to get out of bed because Kevin was literally picking me up from the bed and setting me in my wheelchair, rolling me, say, to the bathroom, picking me up, putting me on the toilet. I used the bathroom. He'd pick me up, put me back in the chair. I mean, I could not do anything for myself. And so at the rehab hospital, they started working on walking, but the main goal was just to be able to get where I could be an independent person again. So I spent two weeks there, and then I've been doing outpatient physical therapy twice a week ever since. So now
0: you can't, because you came in here, you're using a cane to help you, but yes. you still don't really have a lot of feeling.
1: No, I still have not regained any of the feeling from my mid thighs down and then in my hands. So I've had to learn to walk without feeling anything. We work on going up and down stairs. Uh Things you don't think about that you've never, as a normal, normal, quote-unquote normal, healthy adult, you don't think about walking. You don't think about when you put on a pair of sandals that your toes actually grip and hold the shoe on. Otherwise, the shoe falls off. Yeah. You don't think about that until you can't do it. So,
0: okay, so you're... You don't have feeling right now, but you, it's muscle memory. So you're the connections to your brain. You're making yourself remember these actions so that you can do it over and over and over. Yes. And that's what therapy is working. Yes, that's basically
1: it. Is just training your brain how to operate your limbs without feeling them. Okay. So we do. Um, aside from walking and stuff, we I we worked on how to get up off the ground because I told her you know what happens if I fall down and I can't get back up so Mm -hmm. for a whole hour one day we worked on getting up off the ground and just things you just don't think about until you can't do them. Newly married
0: to newly mom and then four or five years later this diagnosis of of becoming someone who has a disability now has a syndrome right? Yes. So how is that Changed your parenting journey? Like, what? I mean, I'm sure there's struggles. And
1: so, particularly whenever I was bedridden for those six weeks, um, obviously I wasn't a very involved parent at that point because I couldn't go to basketball games. I couldn't take them to school, which, luckily, thankfully, when all this happened, our oldest has had her driver's license. So, she actually took a whole lot of burden off my shoulders. And it got put on her, which I hate that it got put on her, right. but it did. Um, but she, the oldest, became in charge of going to the grocery store, of making sure her sister got to her extracurricular events. And, but they would come in every day after school, and one would sit in my wheelchair, and one would sit in my rolling walker at the foot of the bed, and they would just tell me all about their day. We Hi. would, we had this whole little, like, hour, two hour little, chat at the end of every single school day and they laugh now and they're like yeah you were basically like our therapist because you couldn't (laughs) go anywhere so you were just stuck listening to us yeah (laughs) and but I do think it's made us all closer okay for sure because they also the kids got to see a vulnerability in a parent and to to learn that Parents have problems too, mm-hmm. and we're not perfect, and we have weaknesses. And they really got a firsthand account of all of that. But now, with me up and around, I find that I'm a much more relaxed parent than I used to be. right Things that I used to get so upset about, now I'm like, mm, is that really a big deal? Is that really worth getting upset about? And so it's changed your perspective. Yes, a whole lot, because life just changed. In an instant, I mean, I went from just fine to oh my god, I can't stand up anymore, and overnight. Yeah. And so it really has relaxed me a lot.
0: So from what from what you've explained, this could happen to anybody. Yes. At any instant. Yes. I'm surprised there's not more people diagnosed with Guillain-Barré syndrome because with all the things that you mentioned that it could happen from. I mean, what are the chances? There's, I mean, the
1: chance is actually one in 100,000. Oh, okay. That's the occurrence rate of it. But I feel like there's probably a lot of people who are out there with it that were not diagnosed with it because the doctors don't know enough about it. Yeah. And I'm in a Facebook support group that has people from all over the world. And it's interesting to hear the stories from different countries and even different just different states within the united states how advanced some hospitals are versus how not technologically advanced some are right and so the diagnosis i think a lot of people probably do have it but just weren't ever diagnosed they called it something else because they couldn't figure out what it was so they put a name on it and said that's what it is and just walked away
0: yeah that makes sense because Hannah, it's one in ten thousand, and a lot of doctors have never diagnosed it or never seen it before yeah. um, during their years of you know medicine and stuff. And so there are kids that go undiagnosed for years because they don't know they've never seen it before. Yeah, because she was—they actually thought she had something else. And when the test came back that she didn't, they were like, "Okay, good. Um, reach out if you have any questions." I'm like, "No, yeah, we're yeah. Keep for this.
1: <laughs> like there's still something wrong here. Right. Let's yeah. figure it out and." And I think for me, Kevin was a huge advocate for me. Um, He's been the most amazing husband in the whole wide world. But when we were in the hospital, I was in such severe pain because that is one thing I kept the feeling of. Pain and cold are actually bundled together within the spinal cord. Okay. And that's what I can feel pain and I can feel cold.
0: Can you sometimes get them reversed? Like, when it's cold, it feels like pain, and pain is cold?
1: Pain, cold is horribly painful to me. Okay. If I touch anything cold, like, I drink a Dr. Pepper every day. I cannot touch that can straight out of the refrigerator. It feels like it's burning my hand whenever I touch it. And so, I have koozies everywhere now. (laughs) not for beer for Dr.
0: Pepper yeah yeah for
1: Dr. Pepper and I actually even got some that fit like restaurant glasses uh-huh. because you when you go to a restaurant yeah. and they give you a glass full of say iced tea and it's got ice in it I can't touch it and so yeah I literally carry around cup-sized koozies <laughs> and, hilarious. and all the waitresses they always think it's so cool and I just don't ever explain why but um but yeah Kevin where I was going with that he was a huge advocate and he kept pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. And when they would just kind of like shrug, he's like, no, that's, that's unacceptable. You know, you have to figure something out because Mm -hmm. this isn't okay. Yeah. We need answers. Yes. And for me with the pain level I was in, they kept me so medicated that there was no way I was going to advocate for myself at that point. So I was very grateful to have him there.
0: Well, i know firsthand that he has been amazing because when we had a girls night a couple of months back he drove you to the girls night and helped you out of the car and sat there with you with all these chatty girls
1: yes just
0: to so you could be with us yes and so that was amazing
1: yeah he was always quick to take me anywhere I wanted to go and yeah like that literally having to help me get in and out of the wheelchair and Mm -hmm. in and out of the chair and yeah that night oh I felt so bad for him but (laughs) (laughs) but he's done so much for me through all of this and
0: and he's a girl dad too, yes. so I'm sure that has a lot of yes. a huge aspect yeah, to of it. Yeah, he's already
1: got the more sensitive side of being a dad Yeah, because he was a single dad to both girls for a long time. And so, yeah, he's very in tune with all the girl things, and <laughs> he's very grateful that he has his own barn to escape to every once in a yes, while. <laughs> I'm
0: sure. Now, of course, it, I'm sure it has its challenges. What has been challenging for your relationship since this?
1: Oh gosh. A, a lot of things. We, we used to make date night a huge priority, which I believe is so important in a marriage. And when you're bedridden, there was no date night. And so that was a huge struggle for us. And it took a huge toll on us. And I just know we reached a point in March that I was like, hey, we need a vacation because we just were both snapping at each other we're both short-tempered and i was like look you've been through just as much as i have like yes it physically happened to me but it very much happened to my husband too and so we took just a couple of days and we were actually in houston for the livestock show and the girls went with their mom to go visit her family because they live down there and so he and i took those couple of days and we just sat in the hotel mm-hmm. and we ordered food in and we did nothing for two days that and sounds delightful. it was amazing <laughs> and it was wonderful and it gave us that big refresh that our relationship needed yeah. so i would say that has been probably our biggest challenge another one has been i hope my kids don't listen to this um <laughs> since it was a recent topic on this yeah. podcast yeah. is our sex life has right. it's just i don't feel anything yeah and so our sex life has gone down the toilet and that's been that's been a real struggle but we are both we are very open we're very communicative we really do talk to each other a whole lot so we're working on it and we're we're taking another we're taking a big vacation next week
0: oh just me and him
1: to vegas
0: oh fun so
1: just me and him and i think that'll be a really, really good one for us.
0: Absolutely. And I love what you said earlier about how it physically happened to you, but it also happened to your husband. Yes. Because there are people and may not have thought about that. Yes. And that is so, so true.
1: Yes. Being the caretaker is, it's a hard role. And it was one that I had taken on years ago with my mother when she had cancer. So I know How taxing that role is. And with my mom, I would say it wasn't even as taxing as a husband and wife would be. Because to be the husband and have this wife that's just completely relying upon you for everything, I mean, he couldn't work for the first several weeks because Mm -hmm. if I had to go to the bathroom, he had had to get get me there. And I mean, there were some accidents that happened because he couldn't get home fast enough. And and that made him feel horrible it made me feel bad because right. i'd done it and i was having to call him away from work and, and so being the caretaker i know has been very very difficult and you're right people don't recognize that quite often enough right. yeah
0: well and looking at it now you know compared to where it was you can see the other end of this right yes. and it's changed not only your perspective. But you know how bad things can get. Yes. And so you're thankful for the progress that you've made. Yes.
1: I mean, every step, literal, every step of the way has been just huge progress. And yeah, I hope I never go back to where I started with all of this. But at this point, I most likely, where I'm at right now is most likely where I'm going to stay. Okay. Because what the doctors had told me in the beginning was... 6 months that's kind of your prognosis point of you're either going to have all your feeling back by 6 months or you're not and you're probably never going to get it back. Now that being said, people in this Facebook group they 3 5 years down the line all of a sudden wake up one day and they can feel their feet again. Oh my goodness. So what the doctors tell you may right. not actually happen, but if this is where I'm stuck at. I've accepted it, and I'm okay with it. So I'm, I'd say, 95% independent again. Uh-huh. And so I'm good with where I'm at now.
0: But that's got to also give you hope to know that there's other people out there, this community that you're in, yes. people who have different
1: stories. That, and- the Facebook support group has been just a huge, huge help for me. And I wish I'd found it sooner than I did because uh-huh. I didn't find it until... I guess it was about a week before I started rehab. I struggled with the decision to go to inpatient rehab because I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to go live in a hospital for two more weeks. And that Facebook group, they're actually the ones that convinced me to go because they had been there. They Mm -hmm. had done this and they knew that's what needed to happen for me to experience any sort of recovery. And that definitely, the inpatient rehab got me on the path.
0: Having a support group, I tell people that all the time, the biggest thing you need is a support group. You cannot do anything alone. Yes. You know, whether it's your faith or a group of people have been through it or going through it, you have to have that support system behind you. Yes, absolutely. So going forward, what is therapy look like
1: is this something that you're i know you do a couple times a week right i've actually recently cut it down to just once a week okay and that is because i am running out of therapy sessions through insurance yes lovely insurance yes so we but my therapist is also comfortable with the fact that i have made so much progress she was good with moving it to once a week and then that way, I just have to work more at home rather than therapy. Because when I first got out of rehab, I was actually going three times a week. Then we went to twice a week. And now, I guess about two weeks ago is when we switched to just once a week.
0: Yeah, because you've probably picked up enough where you do you are mm-hmm. able to do it at home. Yes. From what they've taught you. Yeah.
1: And I have a workout system at home that I use and... I sit there and practice, like in therapy, we practice going up and down steps Well, our house is elevated, right? so I go out on our back porch because it's shaded and it's cooler than the front porch, and I go up and down the steps and just sit there and do that several times a day and different things. She's given me a lot of things at home to work on. I'm glad for the
0: tools because, you know, we see Hannah's therapists and the things that they can do and what they've learned and their education is just amazing oh, that you yes. don't even think of.
1: yes. And here in Lubbock, the team rehab through UMC, Mm -hmm. they actually have only a couple of therapists, but they specialize in neurological disorders. Okay. So the one I see, her name is Carrie. She specialized in neurological disorders. So all of her patients either have spinal cord injuries, something of the same nature as mine, that their nerves have been damaged in some way or another. And so, yeah, the things that she's been able to help me do, I don't think I could have achieved if it wasn't for her, for sure.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit about your girls, because if there's somebody listening to this that's going through, you know, maybe a cancer diagnosis or some type of diagnosis, they've been in a car accident where life literally just like you has turned upside down with a matter, you know, in one day, Mm -hmm. what do you think your daughters have gotten out of this that, you know, will
1: carry them forward? So I can speak to that as both the daughter of a mother who battled cancer for nine years and then also as the mother now in my position. I think they definitely grew up a whole lot over the course of the last eight months. Mm -hmm. They gained a lot of maturity they have gained more life skills they've had to learn how to plan meals and mm-hmm. go grocery shopping make a list i mean because yeah i used to send them to the store hey i forgot i need some potatoes go get me a bag of potatoes right but now they've had to go okay what are we going to eat this week what groceries what ingredients are required to make those meals and then we have to go to the grocery store buy a whole week's worth of groceries you know so that's a skill that they have definitely learned over the last eight months but I think you know speaking just more mentally I think they've gained a lot of strength Mm -hmm. through all of this they've seen well they've obviously seen me at my weakest now Mm -hmm. and they've gotten to see me come back from my weakest and so, I think they've been able to learn, you know, no matter what life throws at you, you can overcome it. Yeah. And that's that's a huge thing. And so, I just, I hope that they turn out better for all of this. Right. I hope it doesn't end up affecting them later on down the line that all of a sudden they have a mental breakdown because, oh my God, it was so terrible. Right. Because it was terrible. Yeah. But... I do think seeing your parents go through something it's terrifying but when you see them come out of it I think it really does motivate you just to know
0: absolutely I'm glad that you said that because that is so true that no matter what happens because they're still young they're gonna go to college and have all these things happen that you can rise from it yes so and there is there's life on the other side of whatever you may experience yes and I'm sure you experienced that with losing your mom as well.
1: Yes, because so. that was, you know, the worst day of my life was the day my mother died. But I've had to come back from that because life does go on and right. you can't just sit in the corner and, I mean, you can wallow in your self-pity, right. but it doesn't do you any good as a person. Yes. And so I think that's another thing that they have learned is I've told them it's okay to be upset. You know, it's okay to have your breakdowns and cry, cry it out, get it out, and then get up, wipe your face, go on.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's all you can do in life. And that's just been my my out- outlook through all of this is, okay, what can I do tomorrow? What can I do the day after that? And, and I'm sure you've had to learn patience as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that was not something I had very much of before all of this, but... Yes, I have definitely, definitely had to learn some patience, and it's been kind of interesting. My sister, also, she broke her neck when she was 18. Oh, my goodness. And so she made a recovery, Uh and she's married, and she has a son, and, you know, she's made a recovery now, but it has also helped me to understand her a whole lot more, and things like my hands just don't work the way that I want them to work, and... She used to bring me stuff and say, hey, I can't do this, will you do it for me? Well, one time I was over there since all this happened, and we were trying to put together this stupid Paw Patrol tower for my nephew. (laughs) let my
0: daughter hear that. And oh my
1: gosh, it was huge, and it was all these itty-bitty parts, and neither one of our fingers would work right. (laughs) I gained a lot of perspective from her lifestyle at this point.
0: Well, your outlook that you have, like you said, just take each day and, you know, get up and move forward. Have those meltdowns, yes, but don't wallow in it. Yes. It has completely helped your recovery. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Because if you would have gone the other way and had a negative look, you may not be where you are right now.
1: Well, and that's something that Kevin has said about me doing the inpatient rehab and where they wanted me to do it directly out of the hospital. He said, I don't think you would have recovered. I think you were too depressed. Mm -hmm. from being in the hospital and it was Christmas time and Christmas is my favorite Mm -hmm. and I didn't even have a tree up and it was the week before Christmas and some of the other moms swooped in and they took down my Thanksgiving and they put my tree up and you know they helped me get Christmas ready but he said then you were too depressed and you wouldn't have recovered by the time you went to rehab your mental outlook had changed and your determination to recover is mostly what's gotten you this far and and i know when i was in rehab all the therapists kept saying that like they would say are you willing to try this and i'm like i'm willing to try anything i may fail Mm -hmm. but i'm willing to try it and they all loved that yeah what are some
0: resources or things that you would recommend to maybe change your outlook or what you're going
1: through As we already covered, definitely find your support group. Definitely find your people and lean on your people. Don't be afraid to ask for help because that was one thing I've never been good at. Mm -hmm. I don't ask for help well. And I've had to learn how to ask for help and how to not be embarrassed about the fact that I need help. So don't be embarrassed. Lean on your people. They will show up for you. And um, other resources the internet is good and bad so take it with a grain of salt Mm -hmm. but there are you know there's foundations for every single disease disorder anything there is a foundation for it find that legitimate foundation and read their pages you know follow their social medias and things because that's going to give you accurate information about whatever it is you're dealing with I guess I would say don't be afraid to think outside the box either, because I know one thing, with my hands not working, I've had to relearn how to write. Oh, yeah. I bought dry erase toddler alphabet books, and I sit there, or I did, I'm doing a lot better with it now, but I would sit there every day, and I would trace letters, and so, you know, think outside the box. Think of different ways to do things that you may be hindered in doing. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I I wouldn't even think of that. Yeah. But you're trying to, like you said, the muscle memory, trying Mm -hmm. to relearn because you already know it. Your brain has made these
1: paths, but it's a matter of getting it back. Right. The paths have been disconnected. And so you've got to reconnect them somehow. And, and some things are harder than others Mm -hmm. and that's okay too. Don't be afraid to fall. Yeah. I mean, are you able to do your job still? Yes. I started work. I did not work all of December and January. Um, After I got out of rehab, I started back, I'm only doing part-time. I started out slow, you know, and working my way back in, but I have been able to, and actually recently, I was actually able to move back out to my office Mm -hmm. because we had moved my computer into the living room so that I could get to it on my wheelchair, Right. but here recently, about two, three weeks ago, we actually, I got to move back out of the house. Which is just in the backyard, but still, it's my own little space, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I was so excited to get back out there. And so, yeah, now that I've moved back out there, I'm doing more and more at mm-hmm. work, but it's been it's been trying because my job is a lot of typing. Oh yeah, and so. I've had to learn how to type all over again.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you discuss before we end this conversation?
1: Just don't give up. I mean, whatever you're fighting, whatever your battle, don't let it defeat you. That's the biggest thing and always find a way to come out on top. And it may be little bitty baby steps and it may be, I mean, I remember we'd gone out to eat one day and for a long time I wouldn't leave the house because I was embarrassed by the wheelchair. I was embarrassed by just life in general. And I finally got the confidence and we go out to eat. And this woman asked me how I'm doing. I said, you know, I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. And she said, you're still in a wheelchair. It doesn't look that good to me.
0: Oh, gosh, people. And
1: it took every ounce of self-control and maturity and, you know, saying mantras in my head to calm myself down. But I looked her straight in the eye and said, you don't know where I started. And that's something I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> yes, that's something that I would love for people to just keep in mind. You you, if you're the one suffering from something, you know where you started. Your close family and friends know where you started. The rest of the world doesn't. So don't let them get you down because they don't know your journey, they don't know your battle. And don't let the outside influences get to your heart
0: absolutely and strangers need to sometimes keep their mouth shut yes <laughs> it's not positive. definitely
1: what is a saying mama said if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all yes
0: well one time we were in a restaurant and i could overhear people talking about hannah and i mean i wanted more than anything to react in a very negative way yes my anger but i i went over and suggested that they educate themselves and yeah. make, make a donation towards research. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you see somebody going through, you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they're going through, what the past, present, future looks like. So maybe offer a helping hand or educate yourself. Ask, ask them. Definitely.
1: It. That's one big thing. My therapist and I talk about that a lot is, I wish people would just ask me. Because I do hear them whispering, and I do hear them talking, and you know what? If you have questions, come ask me. I'm an open book, and we went out to the lake a couple weeks ago with a bunch of my brother-in-law's family, and they kept going to my sister and like, hey, is that your sister, and what's wrong with her, and all of this, and Uh my sister just kept saying, go talk to her. She'll tell you all about it, and they finally did, and I ended up like in the middle of this giant circle with like 30 people around me. Because they were finally just asking me. Yeah. And,
0: and those 30 people now know what Guillain Barre syndrome yes, is, and they didn't before. They've never
1: heard of it before. So and maybe they'll
0: know somebody in the future that gets it and be like, hey, I, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I know one thing, like my oldest one day, we were driving down the road, and she sees somebody in a wheelchair going down the sidewalk. And she said, you know, I really feel for those people now. I understand how hard their life is. And now when I see somebody in a wheelchair, if they look like they're struggling i go up and ask them if i can help them
0: Uh
1: and that's the other thing if you see somebody don't just ask them about their condition ask if you can help ask if you can hold that door open for them or pick that thing up off the ground that they seem to be having trouble getting and don't just stare and whisper
0: exactly that doesn't help anybody (laughs) i know and teach that to your kids as well because that's the the number one thing is you know ask questions learn Educate yourself, um, be willing to look at things differently because that's how we grow and that's how we become better humans, right? Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yes. Thanks for having me. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Moms in the Hub podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it on Instagram and don't forget to tag us. Have a wonderful week.